was a good friend of mine. Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Kyle Case and I'll be your host on this amazing journey as we attempt to help you get the most out of your life. Joining me in our studio today is my co-pilot, Lil Baron. Hey, Mr. Case. Lil Baron. Lil, Lil, you, we are just days uh, away from Christmas. No, we are. We are just days away from the Christmas holiday, I which know. as the song says, it is the most wonderful, wonderful time, time of, of the year, year right? <laughs> And, and I think that's true for many of us, but it can come with a little extra stress oh, yeah. as well. And mm -hmm. that can make our sleep even more important than ever. Do you see yes. how I did that transition there? I did. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. No, it is true. It is true. I, I found this article on is, uh, a website called Tom's Guide. It was written by Michelle Ross. It's called Five Reasons Why You're Waking Up in the Night and How to Fix Them. Oh, good. And I just thought this holiday time of year, I, I thought uh, this would be helpful and useful. And there were a couple of things that were worth at least considering and thinking about. So the, the reality is, is that there are several factors that compromise a good night's rest. Okay. And uh, with one of them being the ability to sleep uninterrupted okay. throughout the entire night until the morning when you want to wake up. Listen to this. According to one study, over one third of American adults wake up at night at least three times per week, Oh, which leads the problem to be more than just a, a mere frustration or an inconvenience. In that same study, uh, they found that people had difficulty falling back asleep after waking up and that so doing, that's linked with shorter uh, sleep duration, obviously, okay. lower sleep quality as well, uh, which leads to greater daytime impairment mm -hmm. and a higher likelihood of relying on sleep medications. Oh, So we know how important sleep oh, is. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. talk about it regularly, well, yeah. but it, it's important here, right? So while there are many causes of nocturnal waking, Dr. Carlira Wise says the following ones tend to be the most common. Okay. So she, she lays out the most common, but then also a few of the fixes that you can consider. So the first one. Okay. Number one, alcohol consumption close to bedtime. Oh. Now, many people find that alcohol helps them fall yeah. asleep. And, and that tends to be true. But the truth also is that it inhibits high quality rest um. and often contributes to nocturnal waking. So Dr. Weiss says, although alcohol may induce sleep, it affects sleep quality and how we transition through our sleep cycles, increasing the number of awakenings. So in addition to that, also cortisol levels increase once our body metabolizes alcohol, making the person wake up from sleep uh -huh. as well. So she says the fix is that the body takes one hour to eliminate one standard drink, depending on the alcohol concentration. Mm -hmm. This is from Dr. Wise again. Um, and as such, try to limit your alcohol intake in the hours leading up to bedtime. Doing so can help reduce nighttime visits to the bathroom as well, uh, yes. <laughs> which can keep you asleep longer. So that was number one. Number uh -huh. two is a poor sleep environment. So Dr. Weiss says that temperature, exposure to light and noise can cause you to wake up in the night, not to mention impede your ability to fall back asleep mm. once you do wake up. Uh, your sleep setup can have a big impact here. If you're making do with a tired old mattress, she says upgrading could be a game changer. Similarly, the wrong firmness of your bed for your sleep style can make for an uncomfortable mm. night as well. Her fix, she says, the good news is that there are many ways to improve your sleep environment to support un uninterrupted sleep. Some may require an investment on your part, 
But remember that high quality rest is priceless to support your energy levels, your mental health, your immunity, just your overall well-being. So the ideal tips and tricks to promote a better sleep setting may vary based on your specific needs. But Dr. Weiss shares a few things to keep in mind. Number one, uh, improving your sleep environment with blackout curtains. Maybe a fan, air conditioning, or natural ventilation. Dr. Weiss advises that using a white noise machine or a sleep mask can also help. And moreover, if you sleep hot, it may be worth investing in a new mattress or bedding with cooling properties. Mm. Number three, probably won't be a surprise to very many people, and that is caffeine consumption. So caffeine is another key dietary trigger that can cause you to wake up in the middle of the night. This is interesting. She says it may take eight to 10 hours to metabolize caffeine. So in other words, it's not just your evening consumption that can be a problem in your quality of rest. Obviously, the fix is if you're sensitive to caffeine, it may be worth limiting Mm -hmm. your intake uh, as well as cutting off your intake earlier Mm -hmm. in the day. Number four, probably isn't a big surprise either, but it, it wasn't what I was expecting on the list. And that is a sedentary lifestyle. So a uh, 2017 review in the International Journal of Behavioral Medicine uh, found that a sedentary lifestyle is associated with a higher risk of both insomnia and sleep disturbances throughout the night. Uh, The fix is just to get out there and move, right? To stay engaged and be physically active on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. So adults are recommended to exercise 150 minutes per week, which is about 20 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And that can help you sleep better. She says walking in the morning with bright light outside or relaxing yoga at night are good options if you don't know where to start. So a couple of things to think about there. And then the last one is undiagnosed medical conditions. So if you heed all of the tips above and you still find yourself waking up throughout the night, there are any number of medical conditions specific to and aside from sleep that could be at play. She says it's important to investigate when the symptoms of undiagnosed medical conditions are obtrusive, such as obstructive sleep apnea, Mm -hmm. Uh, diagnosed insomnia. Dr. Weiss says that symptoms of underlying medical conditions related to uh, sleep can be varied. So you want to check with your medical uh, provider, your healthcare Mm -hmm. professional. Uh, She says the remedies will depend on the underlying issues. And that's why it's good to talk to your doctor Mm -hmm. if you've done all the other things and you still find yourself having a hard time sleeping. So just a few things to think about yeah. this holiday season as Yoga. we are trying to take care of ourselves <laughs> as best we can. Sleep is obviously very important. Right. Today's guest. Yes. Today's guest is our resident volleyball expert, Sue Mailot. Sue played high school volleyball and she continued to play up until 2010 when her knees told her that it maybe was time to slow down and stop. (laughs) However, she did play college recreational co-ed volleyball. She got the opportunity to referee uh, there and she found a new love. She loved refereeing so much and especially the fact that she could get paid a little bit uh, to do so (laughs) that she began refereeing high school volleyball. Sue went on to referee, scorekeep, and also be a commissioner at every level of volleyball, including the NCAA, club volleyball, as well as senior tournaments. She even was a scorekeeper at the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, oh, which is cool. Yeah. We're proud to note that among all of her vast experience, she also has helped us run the volleyball tournament mm-hmm. at the Huntsman World Senior Games for more than the past decade. Sue, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. We're excited to visit with you for just a few minutes. So um, a lot of the volleyball players that I know are tall. Yes. And um, (laughs) 
I'm not making a judgment here, but you're not, you're, you're. That does not describe little... me. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well. That's what he's saying. That's what I think I hear. I'm just, um, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering how you got into volleyball. It just, I'm just, that, that's, that's my lead in. I'm just you know wondering what? Really? how you got into volleyball. Really? Um, I played, like I said, I started playing. Well, I went to a very small high school. Probably there were okay. only less than 100 kids in the entire high school. So um, every Every person had to do every sport. Otherwise, nobody did anything, right? Yeah. I went to the same kind of school. (laughs) I went to the same kind of school. So that's how you got into it. Yeah. So it didn't matter if you were tall or short. You still had to, everybody had to participate in order to, um, in order for you to have a team or to have a club or to have whatever you had to have. And so I played there. Um, After I actually graduated from high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I didn't go to college right away, but the high school team did not have a coach, so I actually coached for one year, um, the year after I graduated. Oh, wow. So you're coaching school. all of your teammates. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So um, so then I went down to, um, I actually went to do college for, it was called Recreation Leisure Studies, so um, I couldn't get sports and activity out of my blood. And yeah. so then once I was actually going to college, um, I found um, somebody was asking for a recreational volleyball player. So I went to play and um, found some lifelong friends there that I still have communicate with now. And um, I also found out that we had a referee and officiate. And once I started doing that, I just found that I really kind of enjoyed that part. You know, it takes a special person to probably be a a referee or an official. You have mm-hmm. to actually probably have to be a type A personality. <laughs> so, <laughs> so height has nothing to do with being a type A personality. <laughs> um, so um, from the officiating standpoint, I just continued to be involved in all levels of volleyball. Um, from the high school, I found out, Hey, you could get paid for doing something that I really kind of enjoyed. So Mm -hmm. I kind of became a high school volleyball referee. Then I found out that there was this club volleyball thing. And, um, I started officiating at that level. And, um, then along with officiating there, there's always somebody who they need something to an organ, an organizer to help organize it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I felt that I was pretty good at organizing. And so I kind of, it, one thing transitioned from one thing to another thing. So I kind of ended up running tournaments, organizing tournaments, creating my own tournaments. Um, and this was, it has been 30, 40 years ago already that ah. I, so I've been doing it for quite a while. So I love, I love talking to people who kind of find their path and are able to do the thing that they love to do. And I feel like that describes you, You, you've loved volleyball and you've been able to stay involved in one way or another throughout really your whole professional career. Right. They're just, I just, and I've been lucky. I say I've been lucky. I've, I, um, actually became the regional commissioner, which is a part of USA volleyball. Um, there's one of 40 regions in USA Volleyball, so but it encompasses not only junior volleyball, but adult volleyball also. And from there, I was given some other opportunities. I served on the um, USA Volleyball Board of Director. 
um, for about 12 years um, at different times, which that gives you the opportunities to be involved in many, many different aspects of a nonprofit organization. So those type, those years I enjoyed very much also. Yeah. Again, just um, this great opportunity to stay involved in something that you love and something that you're good at too, which which is also fun when, Mm -hmm. when you get to, you you get a chance to do that in Mm -hmm. your, in your professional career. I want to back up just one step and talk a little bit about the transition from player to referee or official. I think in most sports, the best officials have some experience in the sport. Maybe they played at some point in their life. You obviously had that experience. Um, But as you transitioned, did you find, was there any level of difficulty or intimidation being on the other side of the net or was it just smooth and easy and it just made sense and it was a great fit? Um, It probably was a pretty great fit. Um, like I said before, um, you don't have to be tall to have that type A personality. <laughs> um, so I don't back down from too much. Um, I'm the oldest child, so I also have that uh, <laughs> part of it too. So um, yeah, there would be many times when I would officiate where I was pretty black and white. So yeah. that's the rule. You will um, you will actually adhere to it. You will do it this way, and it's. Only my way because right now I have the whistle. And so <laughs> it, it, it took a few years before I actually found what we call in the sport of or in officiating the gray areas. The gray area, yeah. So the gray areas are you can kind of say, okay, um, yes, that's the rule, but we're going to go with the um, um, the. The, the spirit part, of the law versus yes, the, the spirit of the rule. Yeah. Yes. And so, so it took me a few years. And so in officiating, um, I, I always have this uh, thought about there are three steps of officiating one where you learn to be an official and you um, you're really excited about it. So you do everything you can, you read all the rules, you try and do what the, the best you can. And, um, but then you have the part that, um, then the next step is now I know the rules and by gosh, you are going to follow the rules. <laughs> and and um, then the third part is, okay, now I'm comfortable in what I actually do and I can actually apply the rules per the spirit of the rule. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. Um, but then, um, and everybody can stay in all those parts of officiating for many, for different lengths of time so one person might be in the first one for only a couple years and they learn it and then they might move on but then they might stay in the middle part where i know the rule and by gosh you will yeah adhere to the rule um people can stay in that part of the um officiating for quite a number quite a while yeah (laughs) so in addition to the officiating you as you mentioned you moved into the organizing um, and we're so grateful for that right. because you have been just an incredible asset to yes. our volleyball event here for for the past number of years. Yeah. And uh, again, so grateful for that. Uh, but you've also had the opportunity to organize many tournaments, both youth as well as adults as well, and, and, and masters as well as seniors. I'm wondering if there are, I don't know, significant differences between putting on a senior event like the Huntsman World Senior Games versus, you know, a really quality high school event or even a college event? Or is it volleyball is volleyball is volleyball? 
volleyball is volleyball, but um, for the seniors, sometimes we've um, participated for so many years, and sometimes we have this thought process of it's the way we used to do it, and sometimes we like the way we did it, and it's hard for us to change. Yeah. So, yeah. so what we do is we try and find a, that happy medium. Hey, you know, maybe this year we have to use a different ball, volleyball. Um, so now we move on and we use um, a different ball, or maybe there's a rule change, and maybe not everyone's comfortable with the rule change, but we'll make adjustments to it and whatever. But junior volleyball um, continually makes adjustments and improvements. And if you were a referee five years ago and you come to do junior volleyball now, um, everything's kind it's of a different changed, experience. Yeah. There, there's mm -hmm. a lot of changes, but no matter when I, what kind of tournament I run or when I make run a tournament from one year to the next or from one tournament to the next, I always want to make it better the next time. Mm -hmm. So whatever improvement you can make, you know, whether it's, um, just a slight adjustment to the schedule or um, something giving people more breaks if they need a break or making it go faster if we're kind of lagging and we've been there for too long a period of time. So whatever we can do to make it better the next time is always my goal. Hmm. Which uh, you achieve that right. goal. At least you do right. for us. I can definitely speak with authority yeah. on that. So again, we're so grateful for your for your expertise and your participation with us. Uh, I want to shift gears just a little bit now. You've been involved in volleyball for a very long time. One of the common themes that we find across the board, not just in volleyball, but certainly in volleyball as well, is that maybe people played as a youth. Maybe they had some fun in high school. Maybe they even you know played on a team or they played in college or whatever. And then for any number of good reasons, Sue, people step away from the sport. They raise a family, they start their career, just their time is different. And then they get back to, um, you know, an, a, a time in their life when maybe they have a little bit more spare time and they start thinking, I'd kind of like to get back into volleyball. Um, what advice do you have for people who are trying to transition back in and aren't exactly sure how to get back involved in this sport that meant something to them in their youth? And, you know, that's that's part of the key is volleyball. When people start playing volleyball or have done volleyball or the there's just something that draws you in. There's a very um, strong camaraderie from people. It's a very social game. Uh, people like to participate. But volleyball in itself, we've always said that volleyball is a lifetime activity because anyone of any level can actually play. So whether you've played it five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, there is an opportunity for you to get back in. And it just takes that little bit of maybe a little bit of training, maybe a little bit of more activity. And the activity is, you know, as in volleyball, we do a little bit of running. We don't do a lot. We do some stretching. So the first time we go up and actually try and spike a ball, we don't um, pull a hamstring or um, stretch out our shoulder or whatever. So just so, to get back into playing volleyball, there are so many leagues um, in your city, in your area. Um, there are senior volleyball tournaments that are going on across the country at all times of the year. And it just really amazes me the number of senior volleyball players that um, are out there playing volleyball right now. So, and even if you don't have a level of activity, what, what we find is that um, the senior volleyball players who come are, 
and from the female side, they've been playing volleyball all their life. So they started when they were eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, and they played a, a team sport up until their college years or their high school. And maybe they played a little bit. Now their kids are playing. So they've been involved for a long time. But the male players sometimes don't take it up until they are a little bit older in life. <clears throat> and they actually then um, find that uh, the activity level, they really enjoy that. So they'll go and they play at the noon leagues, noon leagues at the Y. And so they can play two or three times a week and then they can come out on the weekends and actually play a full day tournament. So getting back into it, you just have to find a place to play and someone will always be there to welcome you. Great advice. And, and I found that to be true yeah. for sure. You, you mentioned the sociality and the camaraderie and the community within the sport of volleyball. It definitely is yeah. there. Yeah. It definitely is there. And we, we uh, experienced that firsthand oh, here at the games for so. sure. So Sue, you've been helping us run our volleyball tournament for a long time. Do you, mm -hmm. do you know how many years, when was the first year that you. Well, I don't know exactly, but I think I came first in about 1999 as a referee. Yeah. So Amr Chan used to be a player. And he also kind of organized the referees and I knew him and his wife very well. Yeah. And so I came as a player one year and this was before the Dixie center was built. Right. Uh, we played at little high schools around the city. And um, so again, that was part of my organizing part that I would go to some site and actually keep everything going and moving. And so I refereed for a, a two or three years. I don't know, a number of years. And then um Armor kind of let me then be in charge of all the referees. And so yeah. I actually was in charge of the referees for a while, um, still refereeing myself. And then I turned 50 and then I got to play for a couple of <laughs> years. <laughs> Which is awesome. Uh, and it was, it was a great time. And then right about that time frame, though, is when we um, actually, the tournament started to get bigger. And we used to run, as all tournaments ran, was on, on paper and pencil. Yeah. And once the tournament started getting bigger and it was, and we had multiple sites, it was much easier for us to transition over to a computer-based um, program. Yeah. And so we transitioned into that. And during that time frame, I assisted um, Richard Downer at that time, who was the tournament director, I assisted him in, in, in transitioning over and, um, it just kind of led from that and it's kind of grown from that. So, yeah, well, so that again, was, we're... um, I announced this year at the captain's meeting that I thought I was here, been here or been the tournament director since about 2003 and someone raised their hand and said, no. And then afterwards, I asked them, what do you mean? And he said, well, I was here the first year was 2004. And I think that was your first year. So I was like, okay. <laughs> you were pretty close. Pretty close. Well, no. <laughs> no, that's. And again, we've just been the beneficiary of right. your experience and your expertise. And uh, we have loved working with you. And and we we uh, had a chance to, to have a conversation a, a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about how in so many ways, the sport of volleyball at the Huntsman World Senior Games is kind of leading out in international competition yeah. and quality of play and so many things that we can learn across the board from the way that you're able to run our volleyball tournament for us. And again, so grateful for it. Um, oh, we only have about 20 seconds, so I'm <laughs> going to ask you to be very brief, but a, a favorite memory that stands out over your almost 20 years with the World Senior Games. Oh my gosh, a favorite memory. I just love this World Senior Game. Every 
everyone knows me that if you want to come to Huntsman's games, you contact me and um, teams contact me, players contact me, whatever. But um, I love everything about the senior games. I love St. George and it's been a fabulous ride and I'm very appreciative of it. Oh, thank you, Sue. Uh-huh. And we feel the same we way do. again. We do. Just so much expertise and so much time yeah. that is behind the scenes that many people right. don't get to see, but we're we're grateful for it and appreciate the relationship and look yeah. forward to another 19, 20, or 21 right. years, whichever right. it is, depending on who's <laughs> keeping track. Sue, yeah. thank you so thank much you. for joining us today and for all that you do to make the games yes. great. Yes. You're welcome again. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Good yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. She's again, she's been such an important right. part of the growth and success of the games as a whole and certainly volleyball in and particular. And you can see so, that in the in volleyball. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A couple of quick things okay. just to wrap us up here. I'm I'm saying it again. I can't believe I'm saying it, but team registration opens in just a few days on January first. Yeah. That's just a few days away, a couple yeah. of weeks away. If you're a coach or a team manager, you need to start preparing for team registration. Many of our team sports, including volleyball, fills up very, very, very quickly. So you want to prepare for that. (laughs) Just a reminder to check out our website for all of the results. We also have some great videos there that you can see featuring the Huntsman World Senior Games on what we're calling Huntsman World Senior Games TV. All of that is available at SeniorGames.net. Our guest next week is John St. Arno, who is a Spartan race competitor who got involved in tactical games in 2020 when all the other races around the world were kind of canceled. We're excited to hear from him. Mm -hmm. Remember to tune in live next and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on AM 1450 or FM 93.1 for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. We take this live show and turn it into a podcast, and you can find it anywhere that podcasts are found. You can also find this in previous shows right on our website. Once again, that is SeniorGames.net, so check that out. Today's inspirational thought comes from the 16th president of the United States of America, Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) And he says, whatever you are, be a good one. Until next Thursday, stay active. Stay active.